And then with the reading of the letter from Brother Tim, I had to think of the word in, in Ecclesiastes. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Why do we have delayed obedience as people of God? Why do we find ourselves at times in that delayed obedience? I think it's because of this. Somehow we think we'll get away with it. And you know, I'm not here to teach on child training, but the reason that a child will not respond quickly is somehow most times we as parents have failed. And I I look at my own life and how easy it was, especially when I'm sitting on the easy chair. It's so much easier to tell them the second time than to get up and, what does it say? Execute speedily the discipline that is needed for the prompt response. But because we relax and we don't want to do it, it's easier just to tell them again. And you know, as parents, we train our children to wait till the second or third time. It's not always the child's fault. Now, I realize you had a very good lesson. The children need to learn to obey immediately. But sometimes I think we as parents need to learn to obey our call in training our children lest we train them to wait till the second or third time or till we raise our voice or till the threat gets pretty strong. But you know, with God, it's not that way. Somehow God in His gracious patience and forbearance does not execute or a sentence speedily against an evil work. And therefore, the sons of men, it seems, continue. And I think of Zanobi, and I think of Safadi. I know them both. But it's not only Zanobi and Safadi. There are thousands of people in Tanzania. We think we have a problem here of complacency or of carelessness and of of delayed obedience. But you know, we've been brought up in a culture, I don't know about you all, but especially... I myself was brought up in a culture that when I did not obey, usually there were consequences, and I I praise God for that. But the Tanzanian culture is steeped in relativism. Nothing is absolute. So these people grow up from a little child all the way up, learning that you can do pretty much as you please and you hope to get by with it. The problem of it is most times you will. Now, you've probably heard stories and you've probably heard about the two thieves back in Ivuna that were cut to pieces with machetes and killed when they were caught here just within the last year. That happens. Why do they still have thieves? Why, when they kill the thieves on the spot in Tanzania, do they still have thieves? Because they hope to get away with it. And the fact is, most times they will. What about us? Do we find ourselves complacent and careless simply because we think we'll get away with it? The fact is we will not. In time, in time, we will pay for our disobedience. 
Anyway, that's not my message this morning. I do greet you in the name of Jesus. I want to thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a new experience. I didn't even know where you are meeting. I didn't even know where the firehouse was up here in Schaeferstown. But I'm amazed at how many you have gathering here. I don't know if you are all uh, a part of the church here or if there's a lot of visitors here this morning, but you certainly have a nice-sized group here. God bless you in that. As I was meditating and praying after I was asked to come and share this morning, I had different thoughts, topics on my mind to speak on. And for some some reason, it just kept coming back to this one rather strong, and it just seemed I couldn't get away from it. Maybe it has to do with the fact that you're not... How long is it now that you've been meeting here, Brother John? Four, four months, yeah. So you're, in a sense, you're not a young church. You've, you've almost, you've like been at church before, but in this meeting place, and you have some people coming here that uh, maybe didn't come at the other, up at Harmony. But what the Lord laid on my heart was to speak on the body of Christ. I long to see individual churches. Grow and flow. If you don't flow, you will not grow. And sometimes I wonder if we don't grow, if we will flow. It just seems like God wants us to continually be effective and working. I'm not saying that a church doesn't add to its numbers over some years that they won't, that they won't flow together. But... I do believe that there's something in reaching out and drawing people, ministering, witnessing, and and the church growing that brings with it. It can be a flow. It can be also a, uh, how can I say, um, it can be a stretch to our flowing at times. But I think we need that. And I'd like to speak on the church this morning, the body of Christ. I think it's beautiful the way that God has described the church, his body. There are some very unique things in this. I'd like to turn, if you would turn with me, to Ephesians chapter 1. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 1, I'd like to read from verse 15 through 23. (coughs) Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. 
Now here it tells us very clearly that the church is his body. And I love the, the very description of that. The church being the body of Christ and Christ himself being the head. There are so many beautiful illustrations here that we can get. I'd like to also turn to our text. I'd like to read our text for this message this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I think there's so much in this chapter. I think I'm going to just read the whole verse, the whole chapter. And I, brethren, when I came unto you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm sorry. I'm in chapter, I'm in chapter 2. thought something didn't seem right. 1 Corinthians 12. All of a sudden I realized I'm getting into the same chapter I heard this morning. <coughs> yes, chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away with these dumb idols even as you were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are diversities of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not of the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not of the eye, not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were, in, were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set member, the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable than these, we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacketh, which lacked that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And and God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, 
diversities of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. That is the text that I'd like to base the message on this morning. And there's much that we could speak on here in this um, chapter that we just read. Uh, we will try to do that as we go back and reflect on some of it. But we are shown here that the church, the body of Christ, is like our physical body. Very much like our physical body. And I'd like for you to notice some things here. It has many members. This body has many members. It has hands, arms, ears, eyes, and many more. And they are all diverse, one from the other. They're not all the same. Yet they function together in unity, thus being a healthy physical body. Um, sometimes we say that, that uh, you know, a few people's um, personalities clash. I don't think that should be that way. I am an individual. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an individual that thinks and functions and does things a certain way. I think through things a certain way. And there are personalities that can really rub me the wrong way. But that should not, I should not come to the place where I just accept that. I need to bow my heart and realize that there are certain positive aspects of that personality that, I, that can really contribute to my life if I just allow myself to receive it. If I allow that personality to speak into my life, I could benefit from that. You know, sometimes we say love is a choice. And I've said this already, that I have found it very much to be that way, especially brotherly love. I used to say this way, there's not a brother in the church that does not have something with him or at him or at his way or something that I could struggle with if I wanted to. Because we're different. So I can focus on that, on that thing where he's different or that thing that I don't appreciate and allow that to build up and build up until I simply cannot stand this brother. But there's also not a brother in the church that does not have something that I appreciate. Something that, that actually is a good thing that I could learn from and could help me in my walk of life. Now, if I focus on that positive and choose to focus on that, I will get to love all the brethren. So, in a sense, I believe love is a choice in a brotherhood. We, 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 can, we can choose which one we're going to, to focus on. And if we see a weakness in a brother, if we bow our hearts and, and pray for that need in that brother or if, and, and get our focus in the right place, we will start having a love for that brother. I, uh, I, my wife had a little paper on our uh, dresser mirror for years. And it said something to this effect that it will be very hard to speak negatively of a brother that you have just prayed for. Or that you pray f- consistently for or something like that. And I, I never forgot that. It's very true. All right, I'd like to also turn to Romans to get a few thoughts here. Romans 12, 1 through 5. This is a very common scripture, and we oftentimes turn to this when we want to talk about how we need to be transformed and how we need to uh, not be conformed to this world. 
But it says more than that in the next verses that I think we've, we definitely need. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say... So, there's a reason that that first... You know, he says, for I say... So, we need to bring those things together and say, well, what is he really all saying here? For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For we, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one member is one of another. I wonder at times what all went through Paul's mind as he continued on in his journey of life after he had that disagreement with Barnabas and his separated ways. I have a feeling he learned a lot in that experience. It does seem as if that was no issue later. Apparently, they got together and flowed after that. But there was so much contention between them that they separated. And I wonder when, when uh, he wrote things like this, whether he realized, too, that even he himself was not on the altar like he should have been or that wouldn't have happened. I wonder. Um, I believe there is time, and I, I'm grieved when I hear that many times it seems that people kind of justify themselves in separating and just say, well, we're just too different. Now, I do believe that there is a time and a place for us where, where we need to go maybe two separate ways. Maybe God has called us in a different place or something. I'm not here saying we all need to be together in, in one place. Certainly not. But I am troubled when I see... As you look at the Anabaptist movement and you see the splits and the splinters and the schisms and the, I mean, there's every kind of flavor and why? When we are the body of Christ and everyone members one of another. So I think we can learn some things here. <clears throat> And I think he, he brings out something here. He says that first of all, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Now that's quite unique because a sacrifice was usually dead. One of the first things they did was kill the sacrifice and then put it on the altar. This was to be a sacrifice that was offered unto God. That's what it is to be for you and I. Offered unto God. It is fully surrendered to the burning, fully given to the altar. There it lay with no demands. It has surrendered and it was presented. That means willingly, deliberately given to, but it's alive. It means that we are to be dead to our own desires, our own wishes, our own wants, our own preferences, and alive unto God, while yet living. Why does he say that? 
You know, he, he first of all brings out that foundation where we need to be individually. Tells us not to be conformed to this world. In other words, we are not to think even like the world does and pursue our positions and our degrees and our careers and all that and try to climb the ladder of success over each other. No, that, those things need to be laid down. And then we have another step to take, and that is we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly. I think there's some good foundation here for the building of a church in these first few verses. All right. Verse 3. Finding our place. We want to note that. It's very important in the church that we find our place. Very, very unhandy in a church. It's very unhandy for leaders, for someone that's always pushing himself out of his place. Trying, getting out of his place. Trying to be in areas and positions that he's not called to be. Because it gets very unhandy for the leaders that way. We want everyone to exercise the gifts they have. But, you know, how does it say at one place so much that, I can't get it now. God makes room for a man's gift or something like that. I, I, I can't quote it now. But it gives the idea that if, if you have a gift, God will. He will provide a way and a place for you to use that, that talent that he's given you. All right. Uh, we want to notice something here. The body is not made up of just one member. Now, when we look at the church, we have to realize that not one of us has it all together. My body here does not have it all together. Not, oh, my whole body may be whole and I may, I may be a healthy body, but not one single member has it all together. They are very handicapped on their own. And I'll try to explain that a little later here as we go on. Our text shows us that the body is made up of many members having, having uh, divers' gifts, talents, callings, and offices. Yet it all works together in harmony to make up what we call the body. And that's how it works in the, in the local body of the church. We are all individuals. But now by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. We are very individualistic. Of our own. Very individualistic. Prior to September of 1982, either one of you and I would have probably had some awful clashes. We must be baptized into this body by one spirit. If we, if we try to get together and have something function, I mean, we see the social clubs and some of the clubs that are out there, they have tremendous bickerings and they have to really set up a, the authority structure or it just doesn't work. And even then, they have these, these problems of working together. But it should not be that way in the church. We are members one of another. <coughs> I'd like to take a little bit of a look at the human body. Number one, the head. Our text clearly tells us that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We have seen a number of sicknesses and and you'll see many of them in Tanzania, especially amputations. A man can live without a leg. man can live without an arm. man can live without a hand, without fingers. There are so many parts of this body 
that can be removed and the body still lives. But when you remove the head, there is no hope. And I think sometimes it looks as if there are groups of people that think that somehow they're going to have a body, but they've somehow cast Christ off. They've, they've actually severed Christ from the church. He's not the head of the church. Therefore, it's, it's dead. It, you cannot have life without Christ being the head. Many members can be, you know, a body can live without different members, but it cannot live without the head. In the same way, the church cannot be alive without Christ as the head. It just cannot. Another thing we want to notice is that all body functions get their direction from the head. And we'll get into this in a little more detail a little later here. The head is the message center. It's, the, it's where all the different messages go out to cause the rest of the body to do things. And, and we say, well, we have certain instinct. We do, but it's the brain that trains the body those instincts. And, and the brain is actually there very active making all those things happen because the moment the brain dies, the moment the head or the brain dies, the motor skills, a person's paralyzed. He, he, oh, he has perfect healthy muscles. He has healthy, you know, the bones, everything's healthy, but he cannot function because the message center is not getting the message to the individual limb. (coughs) When Christ is no longer the head of the body, the body of Christ is dead and you end up with nothing but a religious organization. That's just what it is. Let's get back to the human body. Let's look at some of these members. Our text here talks about less honorable members. I have a question, especially here in America. In Tanzania, it might be a little bit different, but here in America, how much attention do we give to someone's toes? I have no clue what any of you, all of you, what your toes look like. I have no clue. I give almost no attention to those toes. And yet, a person finds it very difficult to walk with no toes. Do you see how very, very important they are? And yet, they are such a a member that is just not noticed. There are members in the body of Christ that are very vital in the balance of the church. And most times, they are unseen. It's that person, that brother that has a gift of bringing in balance. And most times he's the quiet voice that is the last voice to speak up in a brother's meeting. I've, I've, fasc- I've been fascinated with that. I'm, I'm not a toe, by the way. I, I'm too quick to speak. But I've been fascinated with these people that can sit there and they have a gift to sit there silent for a whole meeting. And at the very end, when you think you've just about come to a conclusion, they come in with a few words and it just brings a balance and the whole thing just, yeah, right there it is. And you just, you, you get a hold of that. What the individual said was so good and just right for a balance in what all had been said. Those members that are very important and yet we would say probably less honorable. But they're very needed. <coughs> Our body has feet. They bear the weight, yet covered. 
There are members in the body of Christ that bear a lot of weight. And yet, they're covered up. They're not out there to be shown. They may not be behind the pulpit. We say, oh, the weight of the church lays on the elder. Yeah, a lot of weight. A A lot of responsibility lays on him. But you know, there are many times those that bear a lot of weight in a brotherhood that are not seen. But they're very important. How would we get anywhere physically without feet? Bearing a burden, yet not known. <clears throat> there are brethren in the church that bear burdens in prayer before God and bear a lot of weight, and most of us don't even know it. Then there's the legs, strong pillars. We have strong pillars in a church. We have those that also bear a lot of weight. What gets tired when you go jogging? Your legs get tired. Mine do. They take a lot of weight. They take a lot of bearing. And yet, they're pillars in the church. They're strong. They hold a lot. Bear a lot of weight. And yet, uh, yeah, they're, they're there. They're legs. They're the strong pillars. And yet, what good would a leg do by itself? Then we have the eyes. When we start looking and look at, you may as I go through this say, oh, I'm an eye, or I'm a leg, or I'm a foot, or I'm a toe, or I'm this, or I'm that. But then just as you do that, start thinking too how well you would function all by yourself. Eyes, there are those that have insight. They see needs and direct the way. They see things and then they also can give some little insight here and there. They, they, they have foresight. They are able to see things ahead of time. They are very, a real blessing and very needy. Uh, very much needed in the church. Then there's the nose, the sensitivity, a keen sense of smell. You know, they, they sit there. I, you know, you have it, you have it amongst, sometimes I think my wife is a good, a good nose. Something just didn't smell quite right about this situation. You know, we men need that. We tend to plow ahead and sometimes that, that intuition that our wives have to just not feel quite right about something. We better stop and listen. Something just doesn't smell quite right about this situation. We have that. We have brothers like that at times. They just have a little question about something and sometimes when they bring it out, we look at it, we say, yeah, that's right. Then we have the mouth. We might have the teacher or the preacher. We have ears, the hearing. They are keen. They are listening for false doctrine creeping in. They are quick to pick up on some things like that. We have hands. The hands, they minister. The hands do a lot of, they, they do a lot of things. They can feed. They will minister. They, they're active. They're, they're very much needed. A lot of good in the, in the church. And there's the fingers. The delicate matters, they handle the delicate matters. We have those. Some of us are way too brash and too blunt and too bold and too hard, but I think in some ways our sisters come into this part of the finger, that they handle the delicate matters. And there are some brothers also with that, when there's needs to be met amongst other brothers in counseling and so forth. Then there's the arms. The support. I have to think of, Abraham, of uh, Moses up there in the mountain when they, they were fighting the battle and Moses and, and I mean, and Aaron and, and uh, was it her, came up there and bore up his arms, the, the, the lifter uppers, 
those that come along and encourage you along and they lift you up. And We have those. Now we have some hidden parts. We have the heart. Maybe you feel unnoticed. But remember, maybe your faithful prayers keep pumping the life flow from the head into the body, from the heart or from heaven to the body. The heart. Maybe your prayers, your dedicated prayer life, your devotedness in praying will pump the life flow into the body from heaven in the same way that the heart, which is unseen, we talk about, oh, I see your heart. Well, no, literally, you do not see my heart. It's totally hidden. But we say, I understand what you're thinking. You know, we relate to the heart as being that inner, inner core of our being. But in reality, the heart is just an organ like the rest. And no, you've never seen my heart, and you probably never will. But the heart, the physical heart that we have is pumping the life flow. The Bible tells us that the, uh, the life is in the blood. That life flow. We have the lungs. That faithful expansion and contraction without complaint and unnoticed. Oh, I, I treasure a brother that can be stretched and he can be, how can I say, he's, he has that ability to expand and contract and he doesn't complain. But he's there. And unnoticed. You know, Paul said to the Philippians, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. Someone that can be stretched, they can be tried in many ways, and it seems they're, they're just, they're flexible, they're able. They're able to take this and go on and, and be a real, a real blessing. And then we have the liver. These are, these are un, unseen uh, parts of the body. The liver is a filtering element. It filters what comes into the church. With a keen mind, they tend to filter through it. and Okay, well, nah, this here we don't need. This here is good. And, you know, filtering through things. Then the kidneys, that's also filtering and disposing of unwanted matter. We need those. We need those those members in the church. And then the blood. And I know there's many more. But the blood I like to look to as the spirit. It flows through all members giving the vitality of life. Because life is in the blood. I like to look at the blood as the spirit. And every one of the members of this body needs blood. It can't function. Same way in the body of Christ. You know, when you study this, it becomes so beautiful that Jesus called His church His body. It's beautiful. (coughs) The Bible tells us in Leviticus that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And uh, we see all these diverse functions, yet functioning in unity. All these different things I've talked about. And there's many more. I know you could probably do a much better job at this. But they all function in unity. And the reason they function in unity is because the messages they get are not conflicting messages. They're all getting the messages from the head. And they're not conflicting. 
The body will flow very smoothly and in unity when they all get their messages from the head, Jesus Christ. But when we run into trouble is when some are getting messages from the flesh and others from the spirit. Then we get, we get conflicting messages and then we have problems. Talk about conflicting messages. Did you ever have someone scratch your back? Not there, over a little bit, up a little bit. No, no, over there a little bit. But you yourself, when you're itchy back here, you, your finger goes right where it itches. Or wherever it may be. You don't go over here and say, well, no, that's not the itch, it's down here. And that's what I'm talking about, getting the same message, coming from the same... The thing that feels the, the itch and the thing that directs the hand to scratch the itch is coming from the same message center. And it's the same way in the body of Christ. If we get conflicting messages coming from another source, it just seems to cause some disunity and dysfunction. <coughs> How about... Uh, when I was a 14-year-old boy, I had my arm broken... And I couldn't wash my hand. I'd have to have somebody else wash my hand. Now, that's one of the weirdest sensations that somebody else wash your hand. Or you wash someone's hand. It's difficult. It just seems it doesn't work right. Um, there are other things like uh, putting on your glasses. For some reason, you can't put on your glasses. Even my wife. I mean, she knows me better than anyone else. And I'll say, can you put on my glasses? Because my hands are maybe greasy or dirty or something. And she'll put them on. They're there, but it just seems I have to make them right. You know? Nobody can put on my glasses like I can. It just doesn't fit right. And it's the same way when, you know, why? Because the glasses and where they need to be and, and how to put them on, there's all directed from one source of direction. How about putting on your hat? Now, most of you probably don't wear hats, but I know I was born and raised Amish, and nobody, I mean... It was awful to have somebody else put on my hat. I would be so uncomfortable until I could finally reach up there and put it on right. But that's a little the way it is in the body of Christ. If we try to, if we have a, a carnal brother trying to fulfill a need and he's not getting a message from the same source, things just don't fit right. They don't feel right and there are problems. Do you see the need that we have as individuals to be connected to the head? Or we're going to cause problems in the body. We need to be connected. We need to get our direction from the same message uh, message center. The more that I get to know God, the more I'm convinced that God loves diversity. There's something about creation. There's something about humankind. The diversity. I mean, how would it be if we'd all look identical? But you know, he's made us all different. And this diversity flowing together brings out a beautiful harmony. He loves diversity functioning together in unity. But the only way this can happen is if the members submit one to another. Not all do the same thing, but carry out their individual functions in unity with one another. 
Second Corinthians 12 verse 14, we just read that it says, For the body is not one member, but many. We as the children of God were never meant to function alone. I am seeing that more and more. And I'd like to speak on that a little bit later on here. But when you start looking at the Word of God, you know, it's a little difficult for us to grasp this. Much more difficult than it is for someone in Eastern, in the East, Eastern, uh, like the Middle East or even down Africa, those cultures over in there, India, most of those Eastern cultures, they find themselves very uncomfortable thinking on a level of individualism like we do. I'll try to explain that a little bit later on here. But I believe the culture back in Jesus' time was much more like the Eastern cultures than the the Western culture. When you look at the way he set up the body, first of all, it's a body. It's not one member. It's many members in one body functioning together. We find the 120 together the day of Pentecost. We find Jesus sending out two by two. We find Peter and John went up to the temple to pray. We find even Jesus saying, how we should pray. What did he say? My Father which is in heaven. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really smitten with this one. How much... Okay, many of us, I was, raised in a church setting where there was very little focus on personal relationship with God. And I'm afraid we have kind of gone off in the other ditch. I don't know how many of you have heard the term pietism or pietistic. It's a term that I, when I first heard it, I thought, well, come on, pietism is good. Piety, that's good, you know. But as I study into the definition of that word, I realize we are more pietistic than I think we'd be willing to admit. The pietistic movement was a movement to focus so... Now, there was, there is a pietism that is good. When you take personal responsibility before you and God, that, that's a good pietism. But it can go that far where it doesn't matter about church anymore. You don't need the brotherhood. You don't need a church. You just worship God. God speaks to me and that's it. And that's how I run my life. Well, we are running into some major things right here in the States with, with pietism or pietistic thinking. Individualistic thinking. And I think it goes all the way back Yes, it goes back to the Garden of Eden, but it also goes goes back to the Declaration of Independence. That spirit has really continued to permeate the minds of American thinking and is very strong. But it's not just here, it's also in Europe. It's a Western thinking. <clears throat> By the way, Europe, although it's way east of here, is also considered the West when you're in the Eastern countries. Um some more things that we see with not individuals being alone. Paul and Barnabas were separated by the Spirit. It says, separate, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, and send them out. And there we have the two very different uh, personalities. Very different. I like to see them as the truth and mercy. We have grace and truth or mercy and truth. And sometimes some of the greatest conflicting things we have in churches is what we call the mercy people or the grace, the, the, the truth people and the, and the grace people or the mercy people. Some want all mercy, mercy, mercy. And others, they're concerned about truth. So they want to stay with the truth. And the others, they, oh, we'll just be merciful. And, but I say we need each other. 
We really do. We need each other. That's a balance. Why did, why did God call Paul and Barnabas, those two, to go forth? Paul was a, he was a truth person, and it was very evident by studying it that Barnabas was more of a mercy person. But he brought them together to go forth and minister. Well, you know, it came out with, with Mark. Paul was finished with this young man. He's not faithful. He was just not going to take him along. And all oh, Barnabas says, you know, just, let's just give him another chance. Well, I think they should have somehow, and I think they did later on, they came together, because again, uh, John, um, John Mark was again with them at a later time, working together with them. So they worked through that one sometime down the line. But I think we need that, and we need it in the church. One thing we want to realize too, in, this, in that the gifts, though differing, will complement one another. The gifts will complement one another if the unity of the Spirit is there. But you see, something that we need to get a grasp of here in America is this. The Spirit always works for the benefit of the whole. We are so individualistic minded, we always look for the benefit of me. And I believe God needs to work in our hearts, needs to work in my heart, And I've seen some of this by being in Tanzania, in more of an Eastern culture, where their focus is not about me, it's about us. And I think we need to look at that, we need to really consider that. And I'd like to bring out some illustrations that really stood out to me lately. Uh, The unity of the Spirit is where each member has a vital connection to the head. And that benefits the whole. And I'd like to bring a few illustrations to that. Okay. You're out at a regular day, you're out working, and, and you get hungry. Now, what member told you you're hungry? Well, we'd say the stomach. Okay, yeah, the stomach growls, we say. There's something in here that said, I need food. But you know, that stomach had no ability to get any food. None whatsoever. It can't see, it can't smell, it can't hear, it can't reach out for anything, it can't even eat it. It's handicapped. So it sends a signal to the brain. Another member, a member praying, sends a signal to the father, to the head. I need food. That sends a signal to the eye. Look for it. So the eye starts looking. Maybe also to the nose. Smell any food? You know, we're hungry and we smell it. Boy, that, that really gets the stomach going, you know. Mouth watering and all kinds of other things start happening. But you know, the eye could say, me? Look for food? I'm not wasting any energy looking for food because I won't benefit. I can't taste it. That's how we tend to think. No benefit to me. I'm not helping. The eye looks. The nose might even smell. The feet, bearing all the weight, and the legs will take the body to where they see the food. What benefit do they get? I'm not taking this weight over there. I'm not bearing all this burden to go all this way over there for food. I mean, what do I gain? I can't taste it. That's how we tend to think sometimes. 
but they function together and they go over. Now the legs, okay, I'll take you over there. Now here you are. There's the food. The stomach is saying, I want it. The eye is saying, I see it. The nose smells it. And the feet brought you to the food and they're all handicapped to take the food. So there's some more members have to get involved and actually yield themselves to the instruction of the head to reach down there, get the food, put it to the mouth, and finally through chewing and digesting, what happens? Does just the finger receive benefit? Does just the taste? Oh, first the taste does. Finally got satisfied, but had no way of satisfying itself. But as the body works together, what happens? The whole body is strengthened. Now you can keep on working. You have, you have new stamina to keep on working. The whole body is strengthened. I want you to run this through your mind of how it works in the body of Christ. Each individual member. I was really struck with this just lately as I was reading through my personal devotions and realized how many times the children of Israel went to battle. <clears throat> God told them to go to battle. And they'd go to battle. And they'd have a victory. But they'd lose some of their people. Now, you know what we tend to do? I was out in this battle and, and my, my husband went out in this battle and the, 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 the children of Israel were fighting and, and we came home and my husband's not along. He was killed in battle. I don't want anything to do with the children of Israel anymore because I was hurt. I'm hurting in here. I lost my husband. I, 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 my family is in shambles. I, I mean, I don't have my husband here at home and I'm not going to be a part of it anymore. You see the difference? When God's blessing was on the whole, and yeah, there were some lives lost. I don't understand all that, but I know that God calls all the shots. The question I have for us is, are we willing, are we willing to go through pain in my own personal life for the benefit of the whole? And if you're a faithful brother in the church, you're probably going to face some pain sometime. And if you let that pain get to you personally and say, well, I was hurt, I'm going to have nothing to do with it, you probably will not be a benefit to the whole. You have to be there and say, the next time you'll go along again. I'm here, to, I'm here to help. I want the benefit of the whole. We've got to get this one, brethren. I feel in my own heart I must get a hold of this one. And that is what I'd like to speak on a little bit with the Eastern cultural differences from here in America. We are far too individualistic. And I think that's why we have so many splits and splinters and so many divisions and so many churches. Because we're concerned about me. What do I get out of it? We are, we are concerned about what my part will get out of something. You know, <coughs> I'd like to go on here a little bit. I also want to talk a little bit about a member being disconnected. What, hamper, what happens when a physical member gets disconnected from the body? I could go on in quite a bit with that. I, I guess I need to leave that. I'm not going to have time to go into that. I want to move on. Um, in the spirit of the world, diversity clashes. In the, excuse me, in the spirit of Christ, diversity complements one another. And we benefit one from another. Um, in the spirit of Christ, it brings balance and glorifies God. Behold how they love one another, being so different. I believe the world oftentimes marvels when they can see brethren so different function together in unity. Too many times it's not that way. We must focus on the benefit of the whole. <clears throat> which member of Jesus' body, of Christ's body, was lifted up when he fed the 5,000? 
you know, we want the church to do big things, but we want some kind of, we, we just want some praise. We want some recognition for what the church did. No, we're just one member. Which member of Christ's body got the glory when he fed the 5,000? Not any single member. Christ was raised up as a glorious figure in what he did. Do we see the church that way? Are we willing to have the church receive recognition? Not me. I'd like to speak a little bit more about this independent spirit here in America. Uh, In the East, (coughs) we have lots of different cultures, and you can go into a lot of study of this, but uh, uh, a lot of the the Eastern cultures have much more of what they would call a strong group concept, um, where the group's priorities stand above the individual's. We find that, and actually, it, it, it's a little tough when you work with, and I know there's probably brethren here who worked with it in Haiti, but when you you run into these people that they seem interested in the gospel, but they really don't want to get out in this thing unless their village does it too. They're, they're a group people, they or in a family. They want the whole family to be part of it. That's not all wrong. Did you ever stop and think why the why the jailer why the jailer's whole house? was converted that night. They must have been a strong family unit, a strong, uh, they must have more of a, of a strong group uh, concept. And I think, I think, uh, there's a lot of study could go into that, but I think it's something that we need to look at as Americans. We are not strong group. We're a very weak group. And I think that's part, partly why our church structures are so weak. Now, the other thing that I'd like to say is this. Some of us, I do, I come from a background where there was a, I come from a very strong group background. Uh, one of the ways you can tell is this. When you meet up with someone in a strong group, well, one of the first things they'll ask is, whose son are you? Or who are you? Who, whose son are you? In a weak group, they'll say, what do you do? The, your 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 uh, your identity is measured by the family you belong to in a strong group, and your identity is recognized or or, or yeah acknowledged by what you accomplish in a weak group. And I didn't do that much study in this, but it's it, we're actually studying something in this lately, going through some studies on this subject as a family, and it's very interesting to see that. But I'd like to go on here. Uh, too many people today want to be a part of a church to see what they can get out of it. Themselves, instead of what they can give. And if they say, I'm not getting anything out of this, they'll just leave. Where really, it's not what I'm getting out of it. It's what is this doing for the glory of God. What is this church, you know, what is the benefit of the whole is what we need to keep focusing on. What about physical damage? The left hand, through reckless moving, gets a splinter. Doesn't even notice it right away. The effects of this foreign object start having its effects. The body feels something is wrong. 
one member through reckless living ends up with a splinter, ends up with sin. And it's not noticed right away, but after a while, the church starts feeling this. They feel the effects of this foreign object in their midst. Sometimes we don't even know what it is, but we sense something's wrong. The effects of the foreign object start having its effects. The eye starts looking and finds the problem. The right hand and the eye work together to remove the foreign object. And healing takes place. Very much how it works in a spiritual level in the body of Christ sometimes. We must work together and help one another. We can't just say, well, I have no part of it. I'm... But we work together as a unit for the benefit of the whole and the health of the whole. <clears throat> if the left hand resists the right hand and the eyes and the eye working together with removing the splinter, then what? You have chaos. That is too often a problem. They don't you know, we need a lot of coordination to remove a splinter. We really do. In the same way in the body of Christ, you need coordination, you need to work together. Understanding. You can't have you can't have the have the the hand say, you know, to the to the eye trying to direct where the splinter is in the eye, the hand just not coordinating and saying, Well, it's not there, the problem's over here. Well no, it's over here, I see it. No, I, I it must be over here and you'll get nowhere. Then you have infection setting in. If you don't take care of it. The church that functions in God's design will be as a healthy servant and will be a great use and value to his master. I'd like to just give you a little bit of an idea here. Imagine the confusion in your life in one day, in one day, if the members of your body would not submit one to another. Just imagine. You want to get up in the morning. So you wake up. You know, there are people like that. My nephew, some years ago, had an accident. He was paralyzed from the neck down. There he lay in the hospital. He was a very robust young man. He worked at a feed mill, threw feed sacks all day. Very muscular. He thought he had the world by his hands, like so many young people do. And he actually was a born-again believer, but backslid and was into drinking. He was actually on his way home drunk, had an accident. And he uh, ended up in bad, bad shape. The next day I went to the hospital to see him. He lay there on his back, his head in a halo. And his mother was by his side and he said, Mom, can you scratch my nose? That really went to my heart. Young people, you don't have it all together. You may be strong and muscular, but your life hangs there in a balance. In a moment, you can be so helpless you can't scratch your own nose. And as he repented and as he'd start weeping, The tears would run down his cheeks. He couldn't wipe his tears. Could do nothing. That's how we are on our own. We need each other. We need other members. We cannot afford to be disconnected. I'd like to just bring some practical things here. How do you function as a member in the body of Christ? Do you know what submission is? Do you know what submission is? Submission does not mean that you sit in a brother's meeting and you have an idea that something should go a certain way. And I'm not talking about a necessarily evil and righteous thing. I'm talking about a 
uh, something that can go either way, but you have your preference. And so uh, the, the, uh, you voice your thought of how this should be in. And the, the majority goes against what you think. And now the brethren, maybe they want to take a vote and say, well, can you support this? And well, you won't raise your hand because that wasn't your idea. I like a story I heard years ago, and probably many of you heard it, about the church that wanted to vote. They needed to put an addition on the church house, but it's where they wanted to build it, there was a big old maple tree. And the one brother just loved that tree. And I, I'm a tree lover. I hate cutting down trees. And there was just no suitable way. And they reasoned around that brother's meeting for quite some time, trying to figure out what they could do. And they'd all conclude, we got to go this way, the tree's got to go. And this one brother said, I just can't do it, I can't do it. Went on through the brother's meeting that way. They concluded that evening's meeting saying, well, we need to go out that way. And the one brother, he was willing to accept that. They set a date to get together to start working, breaking ground and so forth. And the first thing they needed to do, of course, was remove the tree. And a brother came there early in the morning. And here, when he got there, this brother that didn't want to remove the tree was there with his chainsaw working on the tree. He said, brother, what are you doing here? Well, we're removing the tree here. We said, you're the one that didn't want to remove it. He said, brother, when I submit, I submit. That is submission. When you can throw your lot in with a brotherhood and say, let's go with it. Because you've bowed your heart to your will. And now you're there to support and go forward. Sometimes people say they submit and say, well, okay, okay, I'll just, I'll just give up. You guys just take out your tree. But you wouldn't dare go to the work beat and remove the tree. That's not submission. Do we know what submission is? Do we know what it's like to sit in a brother's meeting when the, when the overall voice comes up to do something that was not according to my desire, but we see where the brotherhood, the heart of the brotherhood is going and when they say, how many of you can support us doing this? Are you there to put up your hand and say, I'll support it? We need to have some surgery done to our hearts sometimes if we want the body of Christ to function properly. Do you struggle with discontentment because you are not noticed? Except the fact you may be one of those very, very vital organs that is just not out front and are doing a great work. Maybe you're even the heart that is pumping the life flow through your prayers. Do you struggle because you feel you have a gift that is not being used? Do you feel overlooked? Do you envy another's position? Do you have a desire to be a leader? You have pulpit itch. I've said for years, I don't think there's anything more difficult to work with in a church than to have people that are not called to be in the ministry and so desperately want to be behind the pulpit. They're not called to preach, and yet they want to. Or they're not called to lead, and they want to be a leader. That makes it very difficult. One of the most difficult things to work with. All right. It is good and well to desire to be all that God wants us to be and to be useful in any way he wants to use us. But to desire that which God has given to another soon becomes an unsanctified struggle for position. Don't ever get in that rut. I've seen it working. If you're sitting in church and you desire to be the leader of the church and you have another leader that's been appointed to be the leader, the time will come when he can do nothing right. Because he's in your position. You won't even realize it. But he is standing in your way. 
for your success and your pursuit in life. I'm not saying that you may not be sitting here this morning with a call in your life to be a church leader someday. But I would really encourage you to do just like Mary did. Took all these things and pondered them in her heart. Wait till the time when God will reveal his time for you. Don't try to make it happen. Take the lesson of David who knew he was king. He was anointed to be king. And anything that kept him from, the thing that kept him from being king was Saul. Stood in his way. He wouldn't lift his finger to make it happen. Powerful message in that story. He waited. And even repented of having cut a little piece of the garment off his coat. Because the word says you shall not touch the Lord's anointed. Well, the Bible says, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Some more things I wanted to share here this morning, but I think I'm going to close. I'd like to close with Philippians chapter 2. Beautiful verses here in Philippians. If there be any, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than ourselves. Those are difficult scriptures. But they are the scriptures. And God wants us to and expects us to walk through them. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Any glory of man is vain glory. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Doesn't matter if you're a song leader, brother. Doesn't matter if you're the preacher. Doesn't matter if you're a children's lesson teach doesn't matter what we do one thing I'd like you to remember I believe without a shadow of a doubt that the young sister that comes to the church during the week and cleans the church house all alone while everybody else is on their duty she's working hard and cleans the church will get more of a blessing from God than the man that preaches the message on Sunday morning if she does it with a thankful humble spirit I'm not saying more, as much. But if he has any kind of a ego or, or um, uh, vain glory in it, she'll get more of a reward. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, Lord, we just bless your holy name. We praise you and thank you for your beautiful picture that you've given us of what you want us to be as the body of Christ. Oh God, give me above, first of all, and then all of us, grace to function as that part in the place you've called us to be and fulfill our call in a humble way that we would not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly according as you have given us the grace to function in. So Lord, I just pray your grace and blessing on each one here. Thank you for this opportunity. Bless them, lead them, and Lord, just speak to all of our hearts as we go from here. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.